Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we would ask now that you would open up your word to us, that you would teach us the precious truths of that faith that you have passed down to us. And so, Lord, open our hearts to you Will you cause your spirit to work among us? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. If you are visiting with us, uh, we are beginning a series today on the Apostles' Creed. We have just finished a a rather lengthy series on the Gospel of John. And this series will uh, take us through the end of July. And so as we look at the creed, of course, ultimately we're looking at God's word. We're not just looking at a, a, a document that was written by men. That would only have some value. But the question that uh, would be fair to ask is, who needs a creed? Why would we need a creed? Isn't that simply a, a formality in a day when things are getting less formal? Isn't that just a part of a, a liturgy isn't that, that just something that is, that is old, that is a carryover to our day? What's the point? Well, the answer is yes, it is an ancient carryover. It's ancient in that it can be traced back to the second century. And, and we would say, we would declare that it, it's actually traced back to the word of God, which goes back before that. But the Apostles' Creed itself 
Forms of it can be traced back to the second century. And it, it is a, a great uh, summary of the teachings of the apostles. But it wasn't really written by the apostles. It's likely that, uh, that it was used as uh, one of the early uh, baptismal creeds. Something that, that those who were coming to be baptized would, would need to memorize, would need to profess, yes, this is, uh, this is what I believe, and that it would be a, a summary of the teaching of the apostles. This, this form that, that we have it in, this approximate form, you can find back as far back as the 6th or 7th century. Now here's the thing. You may have been in other churches or maybe like me, gone to a, a school when I was in college, one of the things that, uh, that I was taught in classes from that particular persuasion was no creed but Christ. That there's not any reason for, for creeds. Those are, are man-made things and we simply do not have a purpose for them. However, in, in their more honest moments, even where I was taught, I would often hear, you know, we say no creed but Christ, but we have a creed. We all know what it is. You can't not believe these certain things. So even if we say no creed but Christ, we have a creed. And I think that's absolutely true. Everyone has a creed. The only question is, is your creed, is the creed of any particular church based squarely upon the word of God? Which is his truth given to us for the purpose of us knowing him better. And so that's why we're going to go through the tenets of the Apostles' Creed uh, this summer. And we will be talking more as time goes on. What is the usefulness of, of a creed in our day and age? So we begin with in the Apostles' Creed, I believe. You see the, the title is Credo, and that's, uh, that's simply Latin for I believe. Or it can be used as a, a summary of what we believe. Now, <clears throat> that phrase, I believe, is used three times in the Apostles' Creed, and uh, each time it is before one of the persons of the Trinity. You can see in the creed, as uh, we'll, we'll look at it later, you can see it. It can easily be divided up into the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then there are applications as well. But I want to I tell you this, because if you're reciting it in your mind and you're thinking, wait a minute, I believe, is it, is it three times in there? And if you're like me, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. It's like the ABCs, right? You can't just start in the middle. You got you to gotta start at the beginning and, and uh, go through it. Um, it's not in all versions. It's not three times in all versions, but in the version that we, from today on, are going to be using, you will find it three times. And we believe that's consistent with uh, the ancient creed and, and what was meant by it. So we'll, we'll look at that, that later. Um, the first thing to note is that belief in the creed is not going to save you. Okay? This is not some magical thing that if we, if we say this, uh, that it is, uh, it's an incantation and it means, therefore, I am a saved person. Only faith in the object of the creed has the power to save. So let's talk about what it is to, to believe. Um, one way to look at uh, belief, and, and I, I, I think this providentially is just a, a great follow-up to our, our series in John, which we called Believe, and that was the whole focus, and now the question is, believe what? And we're, we're answering it. Uh, and, and I, I want to say as well, in terms of the creed, that it is not exhaustive, it is not an exhaustive, systematic theology, but it is representative, and it is a, a fair representation of what was taught in the scripture by the apostles. So what does it mean, I, I believe? Well, there, if you want to break down belief, uh, we, we can do it, and this is uh, this an original with me. This is a very traditional way of looking at belief. You can start with content. Uh, to be saved, ordinarily, uh, one must have a grasp of the content of the faith, who God is, who Christ is, uh, what he did to redeem us, that there is a Holy Spirit, a church, and so on. But is it possible to have a good grasp of that content and not believe it to be true? Well, absolutely. In fact, anybody can stand up and, and read the Apostles' Creed and anybody can study it and understand even the doctrines there, but that in and of itself, understanding the content is not enough for us to be saved. And so there's, a, there's a, a next part in terms of what's necessary for our belief to be a, a saving belief or a saving faith. And that is what we sometimes call intellectual assent, understanding in our mind. Hebrews 11.6, I read a moment ago. Without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So this goes, 
This goes beyond uh, just agreeing that these things are taught in the Bible. So it goes beyond just saying, okay, yeah, those, those tenets are all taught in the Bible. Or it goes beyond just saying, yeah, that's what Christians believe. Intellectual assent is saying, at least mentally, those things are true. For example, content is saying uh, the Bible teaches that Jesus died on the cross. Intellectual assent goes the next step and said his death on the cross was to pay for sin. So then the question comes again. Well, is that enough to be saved? To understand that content and to say, yes, it's true. The answer is no. That's not enough either in terms of uh, a, a true believing, saving faith. How do we know that? Well, in James 2, James, uh, you know, basically makes what you can read as a sarcastic comment about uh, you believe that God is one? Good. But then he goes on and says, even the demons believe that. So he said, if you, you, you believe that God is one, you're good enough to be a demon. Are there going to be any demons in heaven? And of course, we all, we would say, no, of course not. So the, even the demons can understand the content and they can have intellectual assent. Satan understands that when Jesus died on the cross, it was to save his people from their sins. But Satan will not be in heaven. And so there, there's got to be more in terms of belief, and that's where personal trust comes in. Hebrews eleven six again, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, to, to believe, yes, and understand there's an application of our faith. Jesus said in, in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So let me put those three together and give you an example. Uh, in terms of content, the Bible teaches Jesus died on the cross. Intellectual assent. His death on the cross was to pay for sin. Personal trust. I trust that he died for me and it paid for my sin. Do you see? And all three are, are necessary. And I'm convinced that what is meant in the Apostles' Creed and what it was meant for was to include those. Not just so people could, could recite something before they're baptized, but so, yes, they would understand the content, at least these basic tenets, 
and they would say, these things are true, and they would further be saying, these things are true for me. So that's the idea of I believe. Now let's start looking at the first statement. God the Father. I believe in God the Father Almighty. So God is revealed in the scripture as a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And this, of course, is the first of the three. Um, By way of uh, the doctrine of God being our Father, that is absolutely unique to Christianity. If if you're in a discussion with somebody from, from any other religion... Here is a place if they say, so what's, what's the difference, really? I, I know there's a Jesus. Lots of other religions will know that. Lots of them will say, hey, he was a great prophet. He was a great teacher, maybe a great example. So, so how's that different than what you say Christianity is? And here is, here is one place, and that is the fatherhood of God, the personal Fatherhood of God is absolutely unique to Christianity. Let me read you a statement from R.C. Sproul. He said, a few years ago, a German scholar was doing research in New Testament literature and discovered that in the entire history of Judaism, in all uh, existing books of the Old Testament and all existing books of extra-biblical Jewish writings dating from the beginning of Judaism until the 10th century AD in Italy, there is not a single reference of a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as Father. Now, I don't know whether you were able to follow that. It's a, it's a long sentence, but basically he says... You know what? Um, from, from Judaism, from from uh, God's people in the Old Testament, you don't find them addressing God as Father. And then Sproul went on to say, the first Jewish rabbi to call God Father directly was Jesus of Nazareth. He was the first one. Now, if you're any amount of a Bible scholar, you may say, well, wait a minute. I've seen in the Old Testament, there are places where it talks about uh, uh, God as uh, a father. And I know you scholars will know this, that uh, there are at least 14 times in the Old Testament where it talks about him uh, as father. But what we need to understand this is that in the Old Testament, when you see it talking about God as the Father, it is, it is talking about God as the Father to the nation of Israel and not to, as individuals. So that wasn't shocking to Jews that, uh, uh, you know, if, if Jesus had come and talked about God as the Father of our nation, they wouldn't have been shocked at all. But when Jesus, for instance, teaches his disciples to pray, he says, our father. And he talks to him really as his father. 
when he, he says he really is a, a son and it's a personal relationship. And then he indicates that's for us as well. That's what got him into trouble because that was so radical that they knew this, this is something different. And, and that's where the Pharisees, that's where the Jewish scholars of the day said he is absolutely teaching something different than all of uh, the prophets that came before him. It was unexpected to the Jews. Now, before we move to the next phrase, this, this first one, I believe in God the Father Almighty, I want you to understand the order of this. Because what it starts with is not talking about what God did. It doesn't start with, with great and powerful things he did. It starts with who he is to us. And that is where we should begin. Yes, we will love him as our creator and, and as the almighty one, but ultimately our relationship is with a father, not just with a God out there who can do great things, but as a father who has done amazing and powerful things, but that means something for us because he is our father. So let's take a look at, uh, at the next phrase. We see God the maker. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So he's, he's shown to be almighty. He's shown to be the, the maker of, uh, of heaven and earth. And I want to caution us. Because in our day, there are far too many and even among the people of faith that are way too quick to give up the doctrine of creation in this sense. Everything we hear, science has its own view of creation. And if there's any place that we can't figure out how how the Bible fits into science, there are far too many who will say, I'm, I, either I'm just not gonna think about it or I'm not gonna address that or I don't have the answers for that to someone who's really into science and to theory and, and so on and, and, and they're willing to give up on it. And the point is not, how does the Bible fit into science, but the other way, right? How does science fit into what the scripture says? What are we gonna believe as absolute truth? And you know what, there comes a point where we're not gonna be able to answer all the questions and that's the point of faith, isn't it? I mean, what if everything science said fit perfectly? It doesn't, it doesn't really take any faith to believe what the Bible says about, about creation or redemption or resurrection or any of those things. 
but it's where, where everyone seemingly in the world is saying one thing and the scripture says something else. Who will we believe? We've got to make up our mind. What do I believe? And who will I listen to on this? We need to choose to believe what God has said and just wait for science to catch up if they ever do. If it ever fits in. So uh, let me give you four quick points and we used them earlier as we read from the shorter catechism. Uh, if you're wondering, well, what, what do we need to believe? If, if we wanna be orthodox in terms of Christianity, um, what things do we need to say about creation? And, uh, you know, I'll tell you that within our denomination, there, there are some parameters. Not everybody agrees on everything uh, in terms of the length of the, the days and those kinds of things. But what I want to give you is the things that determine are we within the parameters of Christianity or not. So the first thing is God created out of nothing. Uh, Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created uh, by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So he created out of nothing. In theology, um, and you can go tell all your friends, we, we learned, you know, we learned some Latin yesterday in church. Uh, ex nihilo. Now, I'm only telling you that because, because you will see that if you're ever reading any theology, and that simply means out of nothing. Ex nil, if you, if you, you know, know that nil means zero. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. So the point is this, that he didn't find some matter and say, I think I will make this into a world and, and a universe and so on. He created it out of nothing and that, that fits with the, the next point and that is he created by speaking. Uh, what, we, what we said earlier is, by the word of his power. Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. Psalm 33.6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth all their host. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. You get the impression here in the scripture that his power was not even tapped into. He didn't break a sweat when he was creating the universe. He spoke and boom, creation was there. So first of all, out of nothing. Secondly, by the word of his power or by created by speaking. Thirdly, God created in the space of six days. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth 
day. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Now again, among theologians, there, uh, there's some discussion whether those were 24-hour days uh, or a, a long day. We're not going to get into that. If you want to do any reading on that, I can point you to all kinds of uh, uh, reading and theories. But here's what we need to agree on this. And that is that God could have done it in 24-hour days. In fact, God could have done it in a nanosecond. Okay? So, we don't need to uh, choose a theory like long days. You may choose that theory, but we don't need to choose it so God would have enough time to get it all done. There may be other reasons to go that route, but here we need to, we need to recognize that he, he did it in what he called the space of six days. And then fourthly, God's creation was very good. Genesis 1.31. God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. How good? Let, let me read to you, just because I love this passage. Let me read to you what the audience who was watching this during creation thought. In Job 38, verse 4 Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who has stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And here's the part. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. <laughs> That's... You know, as, as the, the stars and the sons of God, the, the angels, as they watched this, they were shouting for joy, seeing God creating by the word of his power. So let me give you several applications. First of all, in terms of God the Father, if he is our father, the only way he can be our father is that we must be adopted into the family. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. If we are adopted into his family, it shows his absolute love for us. His absolute care for us. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God 
And so we are. So we are. So as we begin the creed, don't just skip over. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I know we have to keep pace. You can't stop and meditate while we're, you know, you don't want to mess everyone up. But think about that this week. Meditate upon that. This is where we start. He has adopted me into his family. And then the the question is, why would he adopt me? And the answer is by his grace. Because he set his love on you. And you know what that's going to do? That is going to absolutely drive you to worship. Because you can't, you're not going to be able to figure out why he would choose you, why he would set his love on you. And if you think you figured it out, forget it. That isn't why. It's just out of his great love. And that will drive you to appreciate him all the more, which will drive you to worship and obedience out of gratitude. Secondly, if God is almighty, I believe in God the Father almighty, and if he's the maker of heaven and earth, then he can do anything. He can absolutely do anything. That should give us a confidence and a boldness when we pray to him. See, don't, don't forget about creation of the universe. You know, I, I, I hear people frequently, when, sometimes when they have an illness or something, they'll, they'll say, it's amazing how intricate our bodies are and so on. Well, be amazed, but let that amazement go toward God who created us inside and out. And then again, that's going to drive you to worship him and love him all the more. And so when we, we go to prayer, we can, we can go more boldly with, with more confidence. It's not just wishful thinking, hoping for the sympathy from somebody and, and doing self-therapy by just talking out loud about what our needs are. We become a, a beggar who is hungry, going to the billionaire who loves us, but not only loves us, says, you're one of my children. Does that make a difference if you pray that way? You don't have any doubt that he can answer. And because of his great love for us, you know that he'll say, of course I'll do what's best for you. Of course I can feed you. And then thirdly, if he's your maker, you have dignity. You were created by him. And so you are an image bearer of the king of the universe. 
your children are image bearers of the king of the universe. So when you see that child that is, seems to be going another direction, be reminded, but they're still an image bearer of the king of this universe. Not just believers, all of his creation. And it also means your unborn child is an image bearer of the king of the universe. That makes a difference when we understand that. If you're following the outline, there isn't a number four, but I'm going to give you a number four because I actually discovered it after I turned in my outline and... I don't have that much pull around here, so. Uh. <laughs> I came across this, and, and it's Martin Luther speaking to this portion of the Apostles' Creed. And it's from his small catechism, it, it's called. Uh, here's what he said, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? That's the catechism question. And here is the answer. I believe that God has created me and all that exists, that he has given and still preserves to me my body and soul, my, my eyes and ears and all my members my reason and all the power of my soul, together with food and raiment, home and family, and all my property, that he daily provides abundantly for all the needs of my life, protects me from all danger, and guards and keeps me from all evil, and that he has done this purely out of fatherly and divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. For all which I am in duty bound to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. This is most certainly true. That's the application. Now let me tell you what we're going to do. I want you to take the red hymn book, the Trinity hymn book, and I want you to turn to the back to page 845. It's down at the bottom. It's not a hymn. Then the numbers don't go that high. The page number's at the bottom. It's in the back. And there you will find the Apostles' Creed. Now you may say, well, I already know the Apostles' Creed. Well, there are a few word changes here. And remember what we said about not messing everybody else up? We decided to read it from the hymn book so that we would pay attention. And this is the, the version we're going to be using. And in the future, we'll put it in the worship guide, but you see the three I believes. Um, you, you may have learned it like I did. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in, Je- and in Jesus Christ, his only Son. That might be more familiar to you, but we've determined that this is the form that we will use, and we think it fits with, with really the, the outline of the creed. And so, let me ask you to stand as we read this together. Christian brothers and sisters, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for these glorious truths. Will you give to us the the faith, the trust, truly to believe these things? Will you apply them to our lives? Will you give us even more of an appreciation of, of who you are as our Father and help us to rejoice in that? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please respond together now with hymn number 32, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Hope that you'll speak to one another before you leave the sanctuary today. Take a, a moment to do that. And then I hope that every one of you and then some will be here tonight at six o'clock. When I say and then some, bring others with you. Um, you will be blessed. Uh, a, a tremendous amount of work has gone into this uh, wonderful presentation that we will see this evening. And uh, you will be uh, encouraged. So please come tonight at six. There is babysitting up to age three, I believe. And uh, so uh, please be here um, tonight. And now children of the living God, will you reach out and receive the Lord's benediction? And now as children of the living God, may you be blessed because you have been adopted into his family. And God's people said...